Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It's hard to believe that it's the final hour of Mornings with Carmen in the month of October 2020. Paul, are you, where has the month gone? Yeah. Where where has the week gone? Where has the day gone already? Where has the month gone? Where has the year gone? Like, I'm, we're, we're rolling along, man. It, well, yeah, it's rolling, but it still feels like 2020 has been a long year, even though it's gone by fast. <laughs> You know, time is is that wibbly wobbly timey wimey as one of my uh, favorite characters likes to say. It just doesn't make sense. It is. uh, Yeah. (sighs) All right. Taking a deep breath on this last day of October. um, I got I got this in my email this morning. Please be aware and fact check your friends before passing on to others what you receive. Uh, Now, this was not because I had passed something along. This is uh, actually a a friend in in uh, in Christian ministry, um, sort of highlighting the disinformation that's now arriving via text message and via email. So uh, here was the attendant note, and um, there are articles today, um, well, actually articles this week in both the Washington Post and the New York Times reporting uh, on this. But here is my friend's little summary statement. Uh, in 2020, there are many more forms of dis- disinfo, which, by the way, is apparently now a word. I don't know if it's Scrabble-worthy. I will try it out on my family over the weekend, see if I can get away with disinfo. Looks like a short form of disinformation. Um, so, uh, so many more forms of disinfo. So uh, reporters are covering the problem, hoping you're aware of it. Um, so lie-filled text messages making the rounds. Um, so what they're talking about here is an, an increasingly widespread effort to distribute disinformation through not only emails, which is sort of already common practice in the disinfo uh, circuit, but now uh, distributing disinformation through text messages. Those efforts are actually really, really hard to track because you can't trace back who sent what text message to whom along the way and where, um, where that river started. And so let me just encourage each and every one of you who is listening today um, beware of what your friends might be passing along to you. Um, they, you know, they got a text message. They clicked through to a link. They read something that scared them, and so they then forwarded that text message to you. Um, opening that link on your phone gives um, all kinds of cookies in that link access to um, you, right? To follow up with you to see what you've been searching for, um, uh, see what you else you've been reading, see what you're paying attention to. So remember that anytime you click on a link, somebody is mining your data. Somebody out there is mining your data every time you click on a link. And so um, I, I want you to be aware of that. I want you to be mindful of that. And there is a lot of disinformation 
floating around right now being forwarded via text message in addition to via email. So why bring this up? Because we are people of truth. Truth matters. Um, We are followers of the one who is the way and the what? The truth and the life. John the Baptist noted of Jesus that he came full of grace and what? Truth. In a conversation with uh, Pontius Pilate, the question is asked, you know, what has truth got to do with any of this? Well, what truth has to do with all of this is that we want to be people who pursue God, and God is beautiful, and he is true. So we talk about the transcendent um, realities. Uh, Truth is one of them. And so we want to be people who pursue the truth. We want to be people who are able to identify the truth, sort the truth out from lies. We do that um, through the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And we want to be people who only pass along to others that which is true. Okay? So we want to be a reliable source, and we want to be reliable sources who are relying on the most reliable source, and that is scriptures and, uh, and Jesus. So there you go. Allow the Holy Spirit to work within you to help you sort out truth from lies, take every thought captive to Christ, um, and, and walk in these days with, um, with really, I mean, I just want us to be wide awake to the reality. There's a lot being passed on right now that's not true or truthful. And we don't want to be people who are purveying anything other than the truth to others. All right. Adam Holtz is waiting in the wings. He is from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. And we'll be right back. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. You can find what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. Adam, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. It's kind of funny that we're going to lead off with a conversation uh, when when we last spoke. So when yes. we last spoke, I can't remember what we spoke about, but I'm sure it was really <laughs> good. So uh-huh. what is when we last spoke about? When We Last Spoke is a movie that is a Fathom Events release. And, of course, you probably know Fathom Events is a sort of a niche distributor. Uh, Been a number of Christian films over the years. It's an easier way to distribute films uh, or more economical. And this particular one started on Tuesday and is playing tonight and tomorrow night. This is a drama about two girls named Evangeline and Juliet. And... They have a hard story. Uh, Their mom decided she didn't want to be a mom anymore and basically abandoned them uh, to her in-laws to raise them. And their dad goes to Vietnam. Uh, It's in the early 1970s, I think. And, um, well, oftentimes when you go to Vietnam in a movie, you don't come back. And that's the case here. Mm. And so these are girls that are dealing with really abandonment and grief issues. And they grow up. And it's a... You know, it sort of splits the difference between Steel Magnolias and Hallmark, although much closer to Hallmark than Steel Magnolias, um, as they process grief and loss and anger and abandonment. And it's all done with a lot of humor and heart, so it's not a downer of a movie at all. Um, But uh, interesting film. Corbin Burnson is in it. Melissa Gilbert is in it. Uh, I I would call it a soft 
faith film and that there's not a heavy, you know, altar call come to Jesus moment. But there's there are allusions and references to God. Going to church is an important part of their grandparents' lives and their grandparents are raising them. Uh, so I think one mild profanity is is really about it and and the implication that mom was kind of a floozy, that she may have uh, been um well, how, how do we put it delicately? She liked men. We'll just say, we'll put it that way. Uh, so it's an interesting option right now in a time where, man, there's just not much coming out. It's a pretty barren desert in terms of movies. All right. So um, when we last spoke, a Fathom event, you guys can check out the review at PluggedIn.com. How about um, Come Play? Come Play is kind of interesting. You know, it's Halloween this weekend. This is horror movie season. The vast majority of horror movies are either, you know, bloody slashers or uh, we veered into a very, very nihilistic thing around the turn of the century uh, where, you know, the demons won, the bad guys won, and there's very little point. This is an interesting film in that it's neither of those. And horror, when it's done right, is an interesting platform to talk about social issues. This is about a little boy named Oliver and Oliver is autistic. He can't speak, and he uses screens to communicate. And on his screens that he's on all the time, he comes across uh, a, a thing that <laughs> turns out to be a sort of pseudo-spiritual demonic entity that lives online named Larry. And Larry is skin and bones, and he's nasty. He's basically a skeleton and a demonic kind of character who begins to exert influence over Oliver's life and then the family. But the thing is, Larry only has power when you're looking at the screen. So I think you can mm. see where this is going. This is really an allegory about how being overly focused on our screens destroys our relationships. And so, mm. um, it, it's an interesting film. It's, there are a lot of jump scenes. There are some creepy moments, uh, but there's not actually that much violence and there's not much other content either. Now I wouldn't pack up your six and seven year olds and take them off to see this, but you know, if you have a 13 or 14 year old boy, uh, at home, maybe a child or grandchild, um, this is the kind of movie that if you said, Hey, we're going to go see this movie come play and it's a horror movie and we're going to talk about it afterward. This is the rare movie in that category that I think you could do that with. And it could potentially open the door to uh, a really interesting conversation about how we interact with screens. So uh, interesting film. Not what we expected at all. Fantastic. When we come back, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, I want you to introduce Plugged In's um, new YouTube channel reviews, because this is actually something that parents have been um, really longing for. And I think yep. it meets a tremendous need. So I'm going to continue my conversation with Adam Holtz in just a moment. Um, we are going to look at Plugged In's new YouTube review channel. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, if you're not familiar with the name PewDiePie, uh, then this next segment is definitely for you. Um, there are people on YouTube who are called YouTube creators, and they have a lot of power in the world. Um, Plugged In is now reviewing YouTube channels to assist you as a parent. Um, 
in terms of not only conversations with your kids, but helping them curate their own media feed. Adam Holtz is here from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Tell us about the YouTube Review Channel. You know, the YouTube Review Channels are something that we have had in the works for a while, and it's taken us just a bit to get them up. Um, but as you mentioned, YouTube is a is a medium of extraordinary influence. The 2019 Common Sense Media uh, Census, where they talked to 8 to 18-year-olds, found that YouTube is the place that teens and tweens go, uh, especially younger boys, like 10 to 12-year-old boys. This is higher than video games, higher than music, higher than Netflix or social media. YouTube is where they live. And my children are 10, 11, and 14, and I will bear witness to this. If I left them to their own devices, literally and figuratively, um, they would spend 12 hours a day largely on YouTube. Uh, in part because it's a bottomless pit, right? I mean, you watch one video and you get suggestions for another one. So what we're doing with our YouTube channel reviews is trying to give parents and grandparents and families and youth ministers a sense of what they can expect uh, on a given channel. Now, some channels have been around a long time. They have thousands of videos. We're not reviewing everything that somebody has ever published, but we're trying to take a, a sample of you know six to 10 recent videos watch them and give you a representative sense of, of what, you know, kids are likely to experience. And so PewDiePie, um, if you're not familiar with him is depending on the metrics, the first or second, uh, most influential YouTube, um, content producer out there. And, you know, he got in early, uh, and he reviews video games mostly, but there's a lot of foul stuff in, in his, his reviews as well. And so we're going to approach YouTube channels the same way we do uh, movies, music, video games, books, um, TV. We're going to say, here's the background. Here's what's good. Here's what's, you know, problematic. And here is the bottom line that, you know, you as parents, as people who are involved in kids' lives, here's what you really need to take away from this to help you make a good decision about whether you want your child interacting with this or not, but also you know, if you're just overhearing a conversation and they're like, hey, Ninja did X, Y, or Z in his, you know, video. And you're like, who's Ninja? You know, is this a Japanese warrior? Well, no, this is a guy who makes a half a million dollars a month streaming Fortnite on YouTube. I mean, it's it's absurd how popular some of these people are. And they're the new celebrities. Uh, and so we're going to help you with that. Uh, okay, so um, the only one in your leading list that I'm familiar with is Blippy. Uh huh. I'm just letting you know right now because I um, actually did an 18 minute uh, dance break with my six year old granddaughter <laughs> while we were waiting for popsicles to freeze recently on a Blippy episode. Okay. So well, there you, there you go. go. I'm just when you describe it as sometimes more energetic than other um, uh, than other things, um, she was out of her seat doing an 18-minute dance party waiting for a popsicle to freeze, and I felt pretty good about that. So there you go. Yeah, um, there you again, go. It's not, not, again, not, not recommending everything on Blippi because I haven't watched everything on Blippi, but there you right. go, one, one thing there. Hey, um, doom scrolling. Let me just, let yeah. me just confess to you that um, I didn't know what doom scrolling was until no, Paul I asked didn't. me if I wanted to talk with you about doom scrolling. So yes. what is doom scrolling, and why must we stop? Well, doom scrolling is just sort of the 
the compulsive impulse to see what bad news is out there today. Uh, and you could make the case that there are certain websites that their entire platform is functionally feeding doom scrolling. You know, it, it, the purpose is to suck you in with headlines about how awful things are. And honestly, right now things are, things are terrible in the world. We have the coronavirus, <laughs> we have hurricanes, we have wildfires everywhere in the West, man. I mean, out here it is fire, 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 you know, from Colorado on West. And, and of course we have a political environment that is, uh, it's fractious, it's divided, it's partisan, and there is a natural impulse to want to know what's going on. But unlike back in the day when our fathers might get a morning newspaper, you remember that? You know, the newspaper came in the morning. Totally, yeah. Maybe as they were eating their high-sodium bacon and eggs for breakfast, <laughs> which we don't do anymore either, they would read the newspaper. But you know what? The newspaper was finite. You read three stories or four, you put it down, you go to work. The internet is infinite, and the internet will always give you more of what you're looking for. And so if you start to focus on stories about how bad things are, your Google feed is going to give you more of those stories. You know, it's like what you were talking about earlier. Everything you click on is basically a vote for more of that kind of content. And we're not put together for an infinite stream of bad news, and it's no surprise that researchers say – when all you're looking at is bad news, guess what? It makes you anxious and depressed. So we need to do two things at the very least. We need to set boundaries and limits on it. It doesn't mean you can't look at the news, but you know, figure out when you're going to do that. I'm going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to look at the headlines, and then I'm done with it. And then we need to you – know, it's got to be counterbalanced with truth. You know, Romans 12, 1, 2 says don't you know, be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think that when we're so anxious all the time, we're ripe for the kind of fake news you were talking about early on, you know, before our segment started. I think that primes us to believe conspiracy theories, to believe things that may not have any factual basis in reality at all. And so uh, that's doom scrolling. I confess I doom scroll all the time or – I call it news scrolling, but really it is, you know, what bad thing just happened that I need to know about. So there you go. That's my thoughts on on doom scrolling. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I think that the time limit is maybe the most um, – that might be if I just set a time limit, uh, recognizing that it is an infinite pit um, click, 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 click. I mean that is what – if I look at my at the history on – a kid's laptop, you know, they're not yep. more than 60 seconds on some things, right? And they are just, right. but they could be on there for two hours. Click, right. click, 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 no, click, a minute at, at a time. History, when you look at your history, yours, mine, not your kids, yeah. it's shocking. You can see, oh, you know what? I actually looked at 100 different pages on the web in the first two right. hours this morning. And no, you I don't realize did. it yeah. because you're doing exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Yes, so I will continue to do it uh, in order to prepare to talk to you all about the headlines of the day um, and so that you don't have to. There you go. Yeah. Hey, Carmen, can I say one other thing about that? I think Please. The, other part, the other part of intentionality is, especially with our smartphones, that, you know, I use mine as a flashlight so I don't step on something in the morning. I use it as an alarm clock. 
we have this all-in-one device that primes us to grab it the second that we awaken. And I think part of the discipline here is not only a time limit, but recognizing there is a natural inbuilt impulse to immediately open that thing and look for texts, emails, and news. And, you know, we may be on our smartphones before we're even conscious. You know, it's one of the few things that I do before I make coffee. And so that's another place that, you know, maybe we can create some boundaries and say, actually, I'm not going to keep this thing in my bedroom. It's not going to be the first thing I reach for. And honestly, um, it is for me. I, I'm, I'm, you know, preaching to myself on this, but, but I think that's another boundary that, that we could think about putting in place. All right. Have you ever wondered to yourself as you were reading the scriptures, why is that in the Bible? Maybe it's a talking donkey. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, the slaughter of the innocents. Why is that in the Bible? The most perplexing verses and stories and what they teach us Eric Bargerhuff is up next, and I have copies of this book to give away. So text the word book to 877-933-2484 to discover why that's in the Bible. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. Jesus still finds blind people and restores their sight. Did you know he promised that through his ministry, the blind shall see? Christ came to give light in sight. Consider what he is doing in the Muslim world. According to Tom Doyle, more Muslims have become Christians in the last couple of decades than in the previous 1400 years since Muhammad. And about one out of every three Muslim background believers has had a dream or vision prior to their salvation experience. Jesus is in hot pursuit of the spiritually blind, and he finds them he touches them. He may use a vision, or he may use the kindness of a friend, or the message of a sermon, or the splendor of creation. But believe this, he came to bring sight to the blind. Remember, friend, you are never alone. This is Max Locato. Well, it's fun to be joined today by Eric Bargerhuff. He is, among other things, the author of Why Is That in the Bible? Eric, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, Carmen, I'm so delighted to be with you today. Thank you for the invitation. So this is, um, this is really an engaging uh, conversational book. I will tell you that uh, my family has been intrigued by it. I have uh, teenagers in my house, and we already have a dog ear back here on page 123 because it's a conversation that uh, we surfaced and then everybody wanted to return to later. And so I just wanted to let you know uh, it's well-received. It's well-received uh, in my home. So far, what have the reactions been to it? Because it's, really, it's a really fun approach to just aggregating some perplexing verses and stories and talking about what they teach us. I think what it's been doing, Carmen, is just been inviting a lot of people to say, you know what, I never have understood this, or, or why does this happen? And, you know, there's a lot of things that are in the Bible that are very practical, very real, but it's also very earthy, too. I mean, we're talking about the story of humankind and their relationship with God and our, our sinfulness and our need to be redeemed. When you look at our sin on paper uh, and you look at all the strange stuff that we are involved in in this world, this fallen world— 
it's not surprising that the Bible is going to emulate and show some of that with within its pages. So there's a lot of strange, weird, even disgusting things and bizarre things that are in the Bible. And I thought, you know what, we need to have some explanation as to what these things mean in their proper context, and why would God even include them in the scriptures? So let's um, let's talk about one of the uh, one of the stories, and it's I think it's featured on the cover with the representation of the donkey. But it's definitely yeah. one of the chapters that our kids immediately wanted to know about. And in terms of you know why is that in the Bible? <clears throat> why do we encounter a talking donkey? What's the point of that? Well, God can use anything to accomplish his purposes. And of course, in this particular sense, um, God does uh, one of those Old Testament miracles. You know, the Old Testament is full of miracles. We often think of of the New Testament miracles of Jesus Christ, but the Old Testament is just riddled with miracles. And, and God is doing what he can to deliver and protect his people. And this is one of those stories where um, the pagan nations that saw Moses and the Israelites coming towards the promised land were in a panic. And so what they did is they attempted to hire a pagan prophet, a pagan seer by the name of Balaam, who was well known for pronouncing blessings and cursings on different people. And they wanted to hire him to place a curse on the Israelites as they approached and hoping that, you know, this would somehow protect them from this horde of Israelites coming to the promised land that were wiping out, you know, all kinds of peoples on their way. And so they hired Balaam and Balaam basically uh, uh, agrees. But then in the middle of that, God intervenes and God tells him very clearly, you're not going to be doing this. And uh, this is not appropriate. This is not what's going to happen. And Balaam doesn't even have a saving relationship with the God of Israel. So here's God talking to someone who is not really a believer in him. And he's basically telling him, you are not going to go and curse my people. Okay, so over the course of the story, um, Balaam says, okay, I won't. Well, the, the, the pagan kings up their offer, so to speak, and want him, they, they add more money and more um, provision or more blessing for him if he would come and pronounce a curse on Israel. And so he agrees, and only because God says, you're going to go, but you're only going to say what I'm telling you to say. Well, he gets up to go anyway, and his motives aren't correct. He's all motive, motivated by money. And uh, so he gets up and ri saddles his donkey and rides out to where he's going to pronounce this curse on Israel. And in this story, here's God, the angel of the Lord shows up and blocks the way. And, and interestingly, the eyes of the donkey are opened and he can see the angel of the Lord. So what I say in the book is that, you know, unbelievers like Balaam are dumber than a donkey because they can't really truly see God for who he is, but this donkey can. And so Balaam starts whipping this donkey getting him back on the trail. And the donkey goes to the left and goes to the right. And next thing you know, he's just beating this donkey silly. And the donkey just sits down because he sees the angel of the Lord. And he doesn't want to go there because the angel of the Lord is standing there with a sword in his hand and is going to you know, destroy them if they go any further with the motive of cursing Israel. And so Balaam starts talking to the donkey. And what's so fascinating is that God opens the mouth of the donkey and actually speaks through the donkey to Balaam. And this hilarious conversation takes place between the two. And what we see in the end 
is that Balaam's eyes are eventually opened. He sees the angel of the Lord, and and he himself is frightened. He goes, but he doesn't pronounce a curse. He pronounces blessing on Israel to the king's, the pagan king's dismay. And it's one of these stories that just reminds us that God is always going to protect his purposes and his people in supernatural ways, even ways that we don't ordinarily see. So it provoked a conversation um, at our table about the way Jesus speaks to those who have eyes that see and ears that hear and uh, hearts that understand. It provoked uh, an acknowledgement that we like to sing a song, uh, open my eyes that I may see, or open my ears that I may hear, open my mouth and let me bear gladly the warm truth every, everywhere, open my heart and let me prepare. There are so many easy connections that you make possible through the way that you engage the context of the story and you explain it, and then you really provide an entry point to, to conversation. I'm not sure that that was maybe a part of, uh, of why you did it this way, but it is a way in which we are using it in our own family, and so I just wanted to pass that along. The book is, why is that in the Bible, the most perplexing verses and stories and what they teach us? The author is Eric Barger Huff. I do have copies to give away. Um, so if you um, are already intrigued and you would um, like to receive a complimentary copy, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Our friends at Baker have uh, supplied us a number of copies, and um, we're happy to uh, distribute those through um, through the little drawing that we'll do. So again, you just text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, there are 40 uh, passages that are covered in here. Is there one that stands out to you that you kind of say, hey, that's my favorite? And when we come right back from a very brief break, Eric, I'll ask you to um, to explore it with us. Eric Bargerhoff and I will be right back. Great jumping Jehoshaphat. Well, the army rose early next morning. They marched on out with the king. All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. My guest is Eric Bargerhoff. We are talking about his book, Why Is That in the Bible?, the most perplexing verses and stories and what they teach us. Eric, is there one of these 40 stories that, um, you know, maybe you feel like that's really the one that has uh, provoked the most conversation or you find the most intriguing? Yeah, it sure is. I think that one of the ones from the Old Testament that grips my heart every time I read it is the story of Jehoshaphat. And he sends the choir out in front of the army on their way to to battle. And uh, it is a moving picture of, uh, in fact, I think even his prayer that he prays to God uh, when they're surrounded by their enemies and outnumbered is a model prayer for how to pray in a crisis. And and he just begins his prayer uh, with just worship of God. So here's the story. Here's the context. Um, Jehoshaphat was uh, one of the good kings of the political kingdom of Judah, which were all Israelites in the southern kingdom. Um, the kingdom had been split between Israel to the north and Judah to the south after the death of Solomon because of Solomon's sin. And as a result, the northern tribes were all assimilated and destroyed, especially by the Assyrians. The southern tribes were still alive uh, through Judah, and they had a few good kings, and Jehoshaphat was one of those. And Jehoshaphat started a lot of reform and revival, sent the Levites out to proclaim God's word through the land. And so there was a lot of blessing that was coming under Jehoshaphat's reign. But God gave him a test, an opportunity to seek him. And so what we find out is that there were three pagan tribes to the east who banded together and became battle against Jehoshaphat and the Judahites. And so he was outnumbered. He was panicked. 
And so what he does, he goes in the temple and he worships God, proclaims a fast. All of Judah joins together to seek the face of the Lord, it says in the scriptures. And I love that, that model, seeking the face of the Lord in a crisis. His first response was like breathing, to go to prayer. That was, that's what he did. He went straight to the Lord in prayer and he claimed the promises of God. He worshiped God. He admitted his helplessness and their powerlessness and their need and, and basically put his faith and trust in the Lord to deliver them. And so right in that moment, after he prays this prayer amongst the assembly, there's a prophet that God raises up that says, you do not have to fight this battle. The Lord will fight it for you. March out in confidence tomorrow and the victory will be yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so what Jehoshaphat does is he assembles uh, the, the singers, you know, the, the, the praise and worship team. He puts the praise and worship team in front of the military. Okay, and they're marching out into battle, and they're singing God's praises and thanksgiving, and, and they're worshiping God as they go into battle. And there's just something about that that transforms them, that transforms their minds, their hearts. But when they get to the battlefield, they notice that God had somehow miraculously caused these enemy armies to, to be confused. We don't know if it's by, by an angelic army or whatever it was, but whatever happened— they went into confusion, and they turned on each other. And by the time that Israel got to the battlefield to see uh, the, 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 war, the war that was going to happen, they looked upon the battlefield, and all their enemies were destroyed. I mean, God had just completely delivered Israel without even lifting a finger, and it took days for them to take all the loot back home that they got from the enemy armies. So here's this amazing story of God's deliverance, God's protection, and, and also just a wonderful, I say, illustration of what to do in a crisis, to seek the Lord's heart, to seek the Lord's face, to worship him no matter what is going on, and watch him do what he does best, which is to work all things together for good. It's a fascinating exploration of the context of each one of these stories as they appear in Scripture, and it does help us you know, reconnect to what was going on in the day, to the people of the time, um, and to help us understand literally why it's in the Bible. So the book is, Why Is That in the Bible? Uh, again, I do have copies, complimentary copies to give away. To enter the drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Eric, talk with us about the Song of Solomon. I think that in terms of you know, questions that Christians ask about, you know, why is that in the Bible? The Song of Solomon might be one of those things that kind of leads the list. So talk with us about that. Well, you know, of all the over-sexualization that we have in our culture today, it's always tends to be rather negative. And, and we know that this is one of those deep sins that humankind get involved with. So it's kind of refreshing, Carmen, for, for us to look at Scripture and actually see a healthy portrayal of sexual love in its proper context between a husband and a wife. And, you know, when we were kids, our parents probably didn't want us to read that particular book and ask questions about it. And it's interesting that throughout church history, um, just because it looks like it's all about sex, there have been leaders throughout church history that have wanted to say, no, it's not about that. It's a, it's a metaphor for something else or an allegory for something else, like the relationship that Christ has with his church, or this is the God between Israel, you know, they, they begin to kind of see it more metaphorically or even allegorically, um, when actually, 
Uh, I mean, you should see it metaphorically because there's some metaphors in there, but allegorically is this idea that there's a hidden meaning behind what's really actually there. So we should take this at face value unless there's some reason to believe that we shouldn't. And when we look at this particular book, it's there. It's, it's, it's this vivid picture of, of love between a husband and a wife and how they express it to each other in their own culture and in those contexts. I mean, it, there's some strange things in there. I mean, your, your hair's like a flock of goats. I mean, who would say that to their <laughs> wife? But, but, you, but you look at it and you go back into the context, and we have to time travel here. And this is what's really important. What I love about this book and writing this book is it gave me an opportunity to go into the original context of each of these stories, almost like we, we jump into a time machine and we get to that place and we enter into the world where the customs, the language, the various idioms, the way they talk to each other, the way they dressed. It's like stepping into a movie scene. And when we look at this and we see it in its context, the beauty of it comes roaring out at us. And we see that God has a, a beautiful thing that he has created in the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife. And anything outside of that where sexual expression is given is like fire outside of a fireplace. You know, So there's this beauty within the fireplace of the fire. But anytime you step outside that fireplace, the appropriate context where sexual love should be expressed, you're going to have danger. You're going to have disaster. You're going to burn things down. And there's a lot of relationships that are destroyed by misplaced sexual love. And we all know that and understand that, especially in our over-sexualized culture here in America. But this book is so refreshing to see the way in which a man and a woman can love one another the way God intended and enjoy all the blessings of married life. So if you've ever wondered about, I don't know, the writing on the wall, or you've ever wondered about Jeremiah's linen underwear, or um, as it's characterized here in the book, the youth group that's killed by bears, like right? Yes. Uh, if you've ever wondered about these things, you've ever wondered about handling snakes and drinking poison or angel armies or bodily discharges or even the phrase, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Um, those are some of the stories that are covered in Why Is That in the Bible by Eric Bargerhuff. Uh, and Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. If you're listening right now and you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have available here in the studio, just text the word book to 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. Eric, thank you so much for this contribution to the conversation, um, and thanks for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Bless you, Carmen. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back. So when the Lord starts using you, don't you pay it any mind? He could have used the dog next door if he'd been so inclined. This is a kingdom. Okay, so uh, I guess we're kind of on the cusp of it. Maybe that's what I want to say uh, here at the close of this hour, this day, this week, this month, this election season. So I just want to reiterate my encouragement again to pause and consider our words before we speak them, particularly in the midst of encounters with individuals who are not pausing to think and consider before they speak. So that's going to be our act of mercy this weekend and in the coming days. An act of mercy of pausing and considering our words 
and who we represent in the world and the king and the kingdom before we enter into or engage with those who are not who are not pausing to consider their own words or worldview before speaking into the concerns and issues of the day do not do not forget who you whom you represent in the midst of uh, these days this is the day the lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it this is the year of the lord's favor no matter what no matter what happens jesus is still going to be on the throne seated at the right hand of the father interceding on our behalf no matter who is elected um, god will be god and he's actually got this and the good news of the gospel he's got us in the midst of it have a great weekend and god bless thanks for listening to this podcast of mornings with carmen laburge from faith radio If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.